I would invite you to have your Bible or your message notes or your app to kind of get situated there. Thank you very much, Suzette. And uh, we're going to dive in here in just a moment. But first of all, some of you know exactly what we're about to do. If you're a long-timer or a two- or three-week timer, you know I'm about to introduce myself. And you're going to get a chance to show everyone here in the house and online in the sanctuary that we value openness, honesty, this radical transparency, that we invite people to come into this place to be exactly the way they are, and it's okay to be yourself broken and all. So you're going to show that by the way you respond here. So hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Rick. I am a sinner saved by grace. And this is for you that's new. First and second time, that welcome really is for you to let you know, or online for the very first time, we are glad that you would hope you felt the joy of that welcome. It is for you. Let us pray. God, uh, thank you for welcoming us into your presence, warts and all. God, it's a miracle, really, that you wouldn't do that. Uh, you're good, you're holy, you're a perfect other, and we are so unlike you, God, that you would actually welcome us into your life, into your existence. And uh, we give you thanks. And God, we're about to open your word. We need you to teach us and to help us grow to become more like you. And even before I do that, God, i got to stop here and ask for your balm, for your peace over our nation. Uh, in a couple of days, God, uh, this week, there's going to be kind of this culmination, of uh, this climax of many weeks and months, all these ads, all these commercials, all these emails, social media posts, all these protests, all these conversations. So much hostility, God. So much division. And God, it is my prayer that you would move in the hearts, especially of every person who says they're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you would move us to respond to our brothers and sisters who are unlike us, who vote not like us, God, regardless of what this election brings or solves or resolves, God, in a way that they would know that we are followers of Jesus. By the honor and the respect and the peace and the calm and the grace and the love we give others, God, who are, un who are not even like us, who vote or believe like us. God, let us demonstrate to the world in this season, God. Help us, show us, God. Inspire us, encourage us to be like Jesus. Our world needs it. America needs it. We need it. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We are growing in, together in this series and trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not just to be a church attender, uh, not to be on online, just an online person where I show up and do this and click it, maybe during the middle of the week and watch it and I go on my business, about what does it really mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And we are arranging our life around steps, and there's going to be nine of these steps when we're all done. We only got eight weeks. I'm going to give you nine in this eight-week period. And step number one, we learned, I'm going to take you back real quickly, is that I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender my will and my life to God. And it's not just something I do once. It's something I do every day, and sometimes it's moment by moment throughout the day. My life and my will to God. 
I surrender to his will, not my will. Secondly, is I'm going to think up, that I'm going to fill my mind. God, I pray, God, I ask you to renew my mind by these words of Scripture that I'm going to read every day, that through the reading of your word, God, every day, you're going to change this mind of mine from the stinking thinking that I just get so involved in, God, that I'm going to ask you to do that. Step number two. Step number three, I'm going to look up. Every day, God, I'm going to look up to you in prayer, asking you, God, for your will in my life, that you would reveal your will for me, not for the people who are outside of me, not to change the circumstances around me, not to make that person right, not to make that, that president right, not to make all of that right, God, but in me, you would show me your will for how you want me to live my life, God, and you would give me the power to do it. That's step number three. Step number four, I'm going to love inward. I'm going to go into community. That I'm going to find a group of people. I'm going to leave isolation. I'm going, to, I'm going to repeat that. I'm going to leave isolation. And I'm going to enter into community with people that know me, really know me. Hi, Rick. Hi, you're a sinner saved by grace. I am too. I just, we're real about that. And learn how to love each other anyway. Now, I hope you're figuring this out by now. That it's not what happens, what you hear said in worship that's going to make an impact in your life. If all you do is come here and sit for a few minutes and sit for an hour and go home, big whoop de doo It's what you do during the week that's going to realize there's an impact upon your life in becoming a disciple. And so this is every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, I'm reaching up to God every single day, reaching up to God through a transforming relationship through Jesus Christ that God's power and God's presence would be released into my life every day. Every day I'm reaching in to the people around me, the people that I know, the people that love me, the people that I love. I mean just seeking relationship with them and learning how to love them, them learning me. I'm reaching into that and I'm reaching out to the world. To those that are outside of my community, the people that I don't even know, the people I come in contact, to share with them the great thing that God is doing in my life. I'm reaching out to a greater world. Now, this leads us to, uh, to step number five this morning. I'm going to touch on number six really, really quick. Uh, we're going to do two of them this morning. Uh, but step number five is a word that many of us, we don't like, and I'm going to say it. You're going to go, oh, you're, some of you are going to cringe and make an ugly face, and that word is accountability. Accountability. So you're out on the highway and you're driving, right? And like always, you're out there on the highway and it's crazy out there. It's chaos. Everybody's speeding. Everybody's weaving in and out of traffic, right? They're talking on their cell phones. They're texting, doing all those sort of crazy things. Women are putting on their makeup. People are eating their lunch, reading the newspaper, doing all that sort of thing, right? And seatbelt undone. And, and all of a sudden, this black and white car with this little red light on top pulls right in the middle of traffic and a miracle happens. Whoa! Everybody slows down. Phones get put away. Seatbelts get clicked. That's what you call accountability. We're all accountable for how we drive. But most of us, we just kind of forget that we are. Or, or we think, we hope no one's going to notice. Or... We just have all these excuses that makes it okay to drive the way that we're driving. We have a lot of law enforcement officers in this church. Sent out a couple of texts this week asking them to give me some of the excuses, lame excuses they've heard for the erratic, erratic, crazy ways that you and I drive. 
And they gave me some. But before we do that, uh, could we all give thanks to God for our law enforcement community, for all the way they're putting their risk on the line for our safety and protection on a daily and regular basis? Yeah, we do. And man, the excuses they have to put up with. The most common excuses for speeding, pooping and peeing. <laughs> really, really bad. And for women... It's that time of the month. I'm just saying, ladies, you really use that? Yeah, ladies really use that. Uh, there was a woman who, who got pulled over for, a D, for DUI. Eventually, she got a DUI. And her, her excuse for speeding and driving so erratically, not making this up, she was breast pumping simultaneously both sides at the same time she pointed to her kids in the back of the seat and said come on give me a break that was her excuse another woman got stopped going 90 miles an hour in about a 40 or 45 and she said i was just trying to get enough speed to get up the hill i just want to see the hill or i want to see the car <laughs> you know uh, guys, the most common excuse for guys, for guys, oh, I just got my car out of the shop. I just want to make sure it's working well. <laughs> I just washed it. I'm trying to dry it off. Lame excuses. So I'm coming up to Renfro, get up, uh, come, going up Allsbury, going to turn right, come down Renfro, down the hill. If you're here in Burris, you know what I'm talking about, about St. Anne's. Off of Allsbury to come back down to the church. And I can't get in my mind, that's a 30-mile-an-hour zone. I thought it was 35. And so you drive 40 or 41, right? So I'm coming down the hill, and next to the little light, I get pulled over. Officer gets out, walks up to me. I roll down my window. He goes, oh, hi, Pastor Rick. I went, oh, great. <laughs> Are you in a hurry? I said, no, I'm really not in a hurry. You know, I was just praying for our great city and all of our first responders and, and all that sort of stuff, and I guess I just kind of lost track of my speed. And he said, were your eyes closed? <laughs> and I said, no, they weren't closed. He said, well, good. He said, keep praying, but slow down. He said, you can go. Can we thank God for law enforcement officers who understand the power of prayer <laughs> and grace and mercy and forgiveness? Man, you, you and I are master excuse makers. We're pros. We have all sorts of excuses. I'm stressed because of my boss. I'm overweight because I'm stressed. I yell because of the kids. I drink because of all my problems. I'm late because of the traffic. I'm late because of the train. I'm late because, I'm bored because, I'm angry because, I'm lonely because, I'm in debt because. Meanwhile, the life you and I could live, the character we could acquire, the contributions you and I could make to the world, the people we could bless, the books we could read, the marriage we could have, the health we could have, it's all slipping away. Moment by moment, it's just tick, 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 tick. 
because you and I are deluding ourselves by making just one excuse after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And the reality is, you and I will be held accountable for the choices that we make and the lives that we live. In Genesis chapter 2, in the very beginning of the Bible, we have this incredible story of the creation. And God makes this man and this woman. And he says, I'm going to give all this to you to enjoy. It's yours. Go embrace it. Go live in it. But there's one little tree in the middle of the garden, and you shall not eat of it. Do not eat of it, in fact, he says. They do just the opposite. When you read the story, you think, well, maybe God didn't notice. Maybe God's so busy running the universe, God really doesn't care about that little bitty, you know, just, just a little bit. God notices. He begins to ask some accountability questions. Uh, who told you you were naked? Why are you hiding? Did you eat from that tree I asked you not to eat from? The man goes first. He has an excuse. That was the woman. Whose idea was she? <laughs> not mine. <laughs> the woman said, it's a serpent. Not me. And then God, being God, gets out the consequences for their actions. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love the man and God doesn't love the woman. He does. You need to understand that, that God's judgment is a God of love in the middle of that. Because God gives them clothing to cover up their nakedness and their shame. But God, make no mistake, God, God holds them accountable. And the question I want to ask for you, the first question I have for you, who else is God going to hold accountable? The Bible says it like this over here in uh, Hebrew, Romans 14, 12. Each of us will give uh, accountability for ourselves to God. Each of us will. Well, you ask, what if I'm good at hiding? What if I'm good at covering stuff up where nobody can see it? Nobody really knows. I only know nobody else knows. I know, but nobody else does. Hebrews 4, 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. In other words, everything that I think, everything that I say, everything that I do, even in secret, I'm accountable, you're accountable for the choices and the lives that we live. Now, I'm not going to be accountable for everything in my life, and neither are you. I'm not going to be held accountable for the suffering that's inflicted upon me. I'm not going to be held accountable for the family into which I was born. I'm not going to be held accountable for my genetics. Neither are you. I'm not going to be held accountable that it just so happened I was the freshman in high school. I was the youngest boy in our entire class. I had a May birthday. I only weighed 100 pounds, five foot tall, sopping wet, I was nothing. Pimples 
and freckles at the same time. Not my fault. I only held accountable for the fact that my mother dressed me in corduroy, corduroy bell bottoms and tie-dyed blousey shirts with sleeves that ballooned way out. I won't be held accountable for that. I was just lucky. <laughs> but I will be held accountable, and so will you, for the life that I live, for the choices that I make, for how I spend my time, for how I spend my money, for the things that come out of my mouth, for the things that don't come out of my mouth. For how I feed my mind. For who I notice. For who I don't notice. For the joy and for the love and the honesty that I do not live with. I will be held and you will be held accountable. Now, we don't like talking about this very much. You and I live in this therapeutic, feel-good, sore world. God is love, 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 God is love. Just tell me God is love, and God is love. The Bible's very clear, God is love. But when you read the Bible, you cannot ignore the reality that our God is also a God of accountability. But it's exactly because the irony is, it's because God loves you and me, because God values you, because God values your individual free will and your little personhood and the little kingdom he lets you build on this earth, that God gives you and me the dignity of holding us accountable. It is. See, so many of us, we buy this idea of accountability. Accountability is being uh, this bad thing, this negative thing. That somebody's going to get you in trouble and somebody's going to punish you and just, you know, kind of, that, that's not the idea at all. When you study the scriptures and you understand Jesus and the people who followed Jesus, his disciples, they saw accountability as a gift, not a curse. Because we know that God is not harsh. The scripture says God is not harsh. That through Jesus, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, through the teachings of Jesus, through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you and I, we get mercy. You get grace. We get forgiveness. And we get a brand new start. And maybe another brand new start. And sometimes another brand new start that you cannot get on your own. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a gift. And so anyone who's received this, they value accountability. They, they, they want to become transparent. They want to be honest about their behavior. They seek responsibility for their actions instead of making a bunch of excuses for their actions. Because they know that mutual accountability is absolutely necessary if I'm going to become a disciple because I don't do the things that I want to do and I do do the things that I don't want to do. Anybody, anybody besides me? So this thing called accountability is a gift in God's Word for you and me to help us grow and become the people God made and designed us in our marriages, in our parenting, in all aspects of life, okay? It's a gift. So 
Remind you, step one. You got to get this. I want you to memorize this. If you don't know this, I, I'm putting these steps in the front of my Bible as a way of life. Just so I just, I just know step number one, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to give up. I'm just going to give up my will, surrender my will to God. Number two, I'm going to think up. I'm going to fill my mind with the Word of God. Fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it. And number three, I'm going to look up to God in prayer on a daily basis, daily basis. I'm going to have community around me. That's step number four. It's going to love me. And step number five is accountability. Here it is. I will invite others into my life to help me be accountable to my values, my commitments, and my aspirations. I'm in a very concrete way. I'm going to tell somebody, here are my values, here are my priorities, here are my commitments. Would you please speak into my life? I give you permission to give me feedback to help me become the person that I'm telling you that I believe God has created me to be, and not just for me, but for the people around me who are counting on me. And can I please reemphasize that? There are people who are counting on you. It's not just about you. It's about the people around you who believe in you and love you and need you, parents. Married people, bosses. So I'm going to lay out for you four things that accountability is. In the middle of number one, I'm going to go back and give you what step six is, okay? So we're just going to touch on it quickly. So here is number one in your message notes. Accountability is necessary because it helps me do with somebody else what I would not do by myself. Now, for a moment, I'm going to get practical with you, then we're going to go to the Word and dig in here a little bit. I have several layers of accountability in my life. I'm just going to be transparent with you. Uh, the, the, the session of this church, the elders of this church are a part of the layer of accountability for you. I, I, I answer to the session. I invite them in for accountability for me. I have an executive leadership team, leaders on the church that I meet with on a regular basis. They're part of my accountability for my life. My wife is invited in as a part of my accountability team. I invite her in as a part of that. I also have one man who is a friend in this church, one man that I know and I love and I respect, I trust, and he's been invited into my life to be my accountability friend. He knows most everything about me. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my strengths. He knows my hopes. He knows my dreams. He knows about my relationship with Dallas. He knows about my relationship with my three sons and their wives and my granddaughter. He knows my hopes and dreams about my work and the visions and leadership God has given me and the failures and, my weak, and all these temptations. He knows about the temptations where I feel weak in my life and all these sort of things. I've, I've invited him in and he knows that. I, 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 know, I know his wife. I pray for his wife, I pray for his kids. He knows my wife, he prays for my wife, he prays for my kids. I can call him any time of the day or night about any issue and anything, and I know he'll pick up the phone and he'll respond and be there for me and talk about anything that I need to unload or he needs with me. Now, i got to ask you, do you have someone like that for you in your life? Have you invited someone into your life to be that person for you? Now, you, in some ways, also act as an accountability partner for me, and you don't even know it. 
Many times I've stood up here before you and I've said, hey, here, here are the sexual boundaries I've established for my life. I will not meet in my office with another woman except for someone from my family without another woman or a man on the other side of that door and the blinds open. I won't do it. I won't travel in my car with someone who's not from my family, another female. Won't do it. I won't meet at a restaurant, won't meet publicly at a coffee shop or anything, one-on-one, even for church purposes, for friendship purposes, I won't do it. Now, what's interesting, what you don't know is, that's in our church handbook for our staff. All the staff know it, but you don't know it. But when I tell you that, what does that do? That sets up another layer of accountability for me and our staff, because you see and you know, and it's welcoming accountability into the life. Now, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody invite someone in to know about where you're weak, your thoughts, your desires, your dreams, where you failed, your hopes and your dreams, where you're really not getting it right, where you're missing the mark? Why would anybody invite that kind of person to do that in their life? The scriptures tell us over here at 1 Timothy, where Paul is trying to help Timothy, kind of mentor him in accountability as a disciple. Chapter 4, 1 Timothy, verse 7. Timothy, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. It's a training thing. Train yourself. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, that word there, godliness, just focus on the word godliness. What is godliness not? Godliness is not being religious. It's not coming to church one week and living like hell during the rest of the week. Godliness is not uh, some uh, rule keeper. I'm just going to keep the rules. Godliness is not some fake holiness. You can smell fake holiness from a mile away, and it stinks. Godliness is this genuine sort of love, is this genuine sort of transparency, integrity, of trying, just sincerely trying to be like Jesus the best you can in every single dynamic and aspect of your life. That is what I want to think of when I think about what is godliness in every part of my life. Now, the scripture there makes a reference about training for physical training. If you get serious about physical training and you have this vision of of an athletic accomplishment or some sort of place you want to do in your weight or your physical health, you're going to go and you're going to get an accountability person to help you with your nutrition maybe. Or maybe you're going to get a trainer or you're going to join a class. You're You're going to pay something, right? That kind of hurts when you pay something to hold you accountable to go to something. Uh, my wife, years ago, uh, with Dallas and workouts, I got a little frustrated with Dallas because I didn't think she, her workouts were intense enough. She'd say, I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to go for a walk. I'd just see her out there walking like this. <laughs> Stopping, talking for people for a while, talking to this person for a while and everything like that. I know she's in the other room right now, and she knows it's the truth. You know this is the truth, babe. So. And so uh, she and I would go work out together, and I would try to get her, come on, babe, give me more intense, more intense. And there's only one thing that got more intense. That was the conflict in our marriage. (laughs) 
because she didn't invite me in. I just barged in and said, I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to help you. And then all of a sudden, something happened. And at the gym, Dallas saw this group called CrossFit, and she went and joined that group in the gym. And she had a coach, and she had a trainer, and she had a community of people around her that she welcomed in who, who corrected her and tweaked her here and switched that. And all of a sudden, she started buying in, and my wife just started going off the chain into things that she never thought she could do. And she tried to do it on her own, and she didn't. And I will tell you this. My wife is my something of age. I will not tell you how old she is. And her legs look better than they've ever looked before in her life. I'm telling you what, she's a fine-looking woman. <laughs> and she's reached places that she could not have ever done on her own. Now, here's my question for you on this. Why will you and I do something like this for our bodies, which is temporary? And we won't do it for our soul or our character, which is eternal. Too many of us in this room, online, True Worth, Sanctuary, we have all these friendships, but they're kind of superficial relationships. We never talk about stuff that really, 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 really matters. In fact, Aristotle right here, can we put this up here on the screen, what Aristotle says about friendships? Can you do it? He says there are three different kinds of friendships. To my advantage... Yeah, because they do something for me, I do something for you. It's kind of like networking, common interests. But then there's this friendship of training in virtue. That you have a friend who loves you so much that they want to see godliness grow in you. And you invite them into your life to ask you the questions. Where are you tempted? Where are you missing it? Where'd you mess up yesterday? Where'd you fail? Tomorrow. What do you want to accomplish tomorrow? What do you want to do? Where do you need wisdom? Where do you need strength? How can I help you get to where you want to be? You ask that person into your life. And when you read the Bible, the people who follow Jesus, they absolutely knew that accountability was essential and incredibly important if they were going to become a true disciple of being more like Christ, and they welcomed it into their life so they could do what they said they wanted to do and stop doing what that devil just kept on tripping them up. And here's what I've learned. The more there's something in my mind that I'm thinking and I think, or my heart, I go, man, I need to tell Jeff. I need to tell Jeff that. But I go, no, I don't want to tell Jeff. I don't want to tell him. I don't want to disclose that. The more I need to tell him. And here's what I found. When I tell him, even when I don't want to, can I just say, say, say about, stop here? Vulnerability, you're always going to risk being vulnerable. Always. Men, especially, are going to risk, not going to risk being vulnerable. We're scared of it. But I want to tell you something, men. When you get vulnerable, even though you resist it, you resist it, you're going to be grateful on the other side because that's when healing begins when you dare to get vulnerable. That's why the Bible says in John and James 5, 16, uh, let me just kind of read this for you, kind of give this little quick little six-step. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. In fact, that's step number six. Let me just kind of hit this really quick. Here's step six. I will confess my missteps to God and the person I have wronged. 
Let me just touch on this real quickly. It's not your past that makes you sick. It's your secret past. You're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as unhealthy of that thought, that thing that you've done in your mind and in your, that you keep to yourself. But when you step out into the light, when you confess it, when you step out into the light, healing begins. I've been talking to two different men the past couple of months who are keeping secrets from their wives. Not having an affair, but it's kind of in a gray area. And their marriages are both in the pit of hell. And one of them has made a decision to stay in the deception of darkness. I can't come out. I can't tell her. I can't come clean. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he hasn't. And their marriage is still just, and they're miserable. The other one, he had the courage to step out into the light, and he came clean. And boy, was it hard for her to hear and hard for him to say. But they're having conversations for once about stuff that really matters. They're just not on the surface. So many marriages, they're just at the surface. You don't even talk about really meaningful stuff. You just kind of go through the motions, right? And you never talk about relationship. Now they're talking about relationship, and they're on the way to healing. And their marriage is going to make it. And the other one, I don't know. And somebody right now, your little heart's beating so fast, it's about to explode out of your chest. Because you know there's a secret you've been keeping from someone you love. And you're going, whew, 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 whew. I'm just saying, that's where healing begins. Number two, accountability works better. I've got to work fast when I invite it rather than I endure it. I got to invite it. Hebrews 10, 24 puts it this way. Consider how we might spur, how we might spur one another on. In other words, I got to invite it. I invite this person. Please come into my life. Please come. Hey, this is my vision. This is who I want to become. Would you please come and ask me the hard questions? Please invite me. Accountability is not a magic bullet where you go into somebody's life and say, I'm going to hold you accountable. That's what some of us think it is. It's not that at all. Because I don't care how hard you try to hold somebody accountable. If they don't want to be held accountable, if someone wants to do wrong, they'll do wrong. If someone wants to keep a secret, they'll keep a secret. Accountability only works when a person invites it. And I will tell you, church, it works. It works. I can tell you firsthand in my life, I know it works when you invite someone in to do it. And it works well. It takes off the chain. But you got to invite it in. So I want to encourage you to do that. Invite someone in. In fact, I'm going to invite some of you here in two weeks. Uh, we're going to have join the church. We're going to have people get baptized. Do you know there's an accountability in that when you do it? When you come forward to say, I want to be baptized. I want to say before everybody, I want to stand here at this altar, look up at the cross and before God and thousands of people watching online, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. That's a step of accountability. That people now know you're saying, I have the mark of Jesus on my life. You might want to think about doing that. Invite the community to grow with you, to help you in your walk with faith and invite them in. Okay? Think about doing that. Now, here's the next thing I'll say. Accountability requires courage. It takes a lot of courage uh, to be accountable. Every great marriage, every great church, every great organization Every great business, you show me a business that's going to make it during the pandemic, 
You show me any organization, profit or nonprofit, that's going to make it, somehow they've invited accountability into their dynamic to give them life, to help them see what they're missing. Uh, your church family, you need to know what we do here. We want to make sure we have accountability over all of our finances. Uh, we have several layers to scrub it to make sure there's no funny business anywhere where anybody, because man, there's so much money. $3.8 million is our budget. We have a finance team who looks at it and looks at all the books. We have the session who looks at it. We have staff who look at it. But once a year, we get all of our financial records. We give them to an auditing firm. We pay them $10,000 to scrub and look through everything to make sure that it's perfectly clean in every sense of the way, that every staff person, every system is working in the right way. And it takes courage to do that because you never know what you're going to find out. But you can rest assured that we're going to make sure accountability financially. And that's the reason so many of your marriages are struggling financially. You have no personal accountability in your financial life, in your home. And that's why you're in debt and you're struggling. You just keep on sinking. You don't have it in your life. It takes courage to invite that. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, he sees Peter, who he's compromising his faith. He says, you know what, hey, before everybody, he says, hey, you know what, Peter? It's not okay. You say you're a Christian, but you're a Jew, and you're trying to make these Gentiles act Jewish to make all your old Jewish buddies over here happy. What do you, and he called him out right in the middle of nowhere. It took him, but, and, and, no, and Peter didn't say, hey, it's none of your business, Paul. Can I tell you, in the Bible, among someone who's a disciple, nowhere does it say, there's a verse that says, it's none of your business. Because when you're in the body of Christ, and you're a disciple, you invite other people in to help you grow together, not out of criticism and judgment, because they love you to be the very best you can be for God. There's this little book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Now, I'm going to hit this really quick, put it up here on the screen. There are many of you who have been, this is an old book, but it's so true. It's, this could be five dysfunctions of a marriage, five dysfunctions of a business, five dysfunctions of a church. Here they are. Lack of trust, fear of conflict, absence of commitment, absence of accountability, and attention to results. And every business that struggles or family that struggles, number one is avoidance of accountability. It takes courage. And there's the final thing that I would say. Accountability is not just avoiding what is bad. It's pursuing what is good. God just didn't want you to say, stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing Hey, you go tell your kid, don't do that, don't do that. What are they going to do? <laughs> hey, you got any golfers out here? You got any golfers? So you're about to hit, right? And the guy behind you says, hey, whatever you do, don't hit it in the water. Where's the ball going? In the water. The Bible is not about just don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. It's about pursue the good, pursue the good, pursue the good, pursue the good. Pursue the calling. Pursue what God has upon your life. Be the best person God can be. Be this, be this, be this. It's positive, it's not negative. In Matthew chapter 25, there is a story where Jesus tells about this accountability story. About this master who had three servants, and he calls all the servants in. He said, I want to give you this, I'm going to give you this, and this opportunity, I'm going to give you this gift, give you this talent, give you all of this, and I want you to go, go do something with it. And the scripture says, the scripture says 
the master came back to settle accounts. Our God is, account, is a, an account settler. And he comes this one servant. He hadn't done anything bad. He hadn't been to this website. He hadn't been gambling. Hadn't been going out to bars. Hadn't been hanging out with those people or those people. You know what he'd been doing? Nothing. He buried his talent, the scripture said. He buried it. He didn't risk. He didn't trust. He didn't put it all out there. He just sat at home and did nothing. He had an excuse. You know what his excuse was? I was afraid you were a hard man. I was just so afraid. I was just so afraid. And so I buried it. We are master excuse makers. We have all these excuse makers, excuses of why we don't do what God wants us to do. Excuse after excuse. And I'm telling you, you're living way beneath. You're living way beneath what God has for you in your life because all of our lame, silly, ridiculous, ridiculous excuses. The Bible would not even been written if it was up to you and me because we'd have made an excuse. Well, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. I can't do this. Listen to some of the excuses that could have been had from people in Scripture. Here they are. Timothy was too young. Abram was too old. Moses, too slow of speech. Aaron, too fast to talk. Elijah, too depressed. Gideon was scared. Esau was too hairy. Jonah was a runaway. Joseph was a convict. Rahab was a prostitute. Sarah laughed at God. Noah got drunk. Samson had impulse control issue. Jacob lied. Thomas doubted. Zacchaeus was greedy, corrupt, and vertically challenged. What is your excuse? What's your excuse? Accountability is built in the very nature of your identity of being a disciple. It's in every AO program, and it's got to be in you and in me if we're going to be a disciple. So here we go. Here's your homework, my next step. I want you to pick your, your next step down at the bottom, my next step, and here's the challenge, and some of you about to get nervous. This is not Accountability 401, Discipleship 401, I'm going to do 101. I'm not going to ask you to go tell somebody everything about your life. Here's my ask. I want you to find somebody that you trust and you really know. And I want you to tell them today, if not today, tomorrow, the next day, the next three days at the max, of a commit one thing you're going to do. One thing. Just, just, just. Maybe it's very simple that you're going to pray every day through the rest of this series. And you're going to ask them, hold me accountable to that. I'm going to read. I'm going to do my life step. I'm going to be on the app. And I'm just going to read that short little verse every single day. I'm going to do that every single day. And you ask someone to hold you accountable, to ask you, invite that in. It could be anything. It might be a little bit bigger than that. It might be, okay, I'm going to join a recovery group. I know I'm an addict. I know I need help. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to stop making the excuses. I'm going to do it. Maybe it's I'm going to get baptized. It's time. I made all the excuses, lame excuses. It's time. I'm going to make that step. I'm going to do it. Maybe, maybe for you, I'm going to tell that secret. Maybe it's such a big thing. You're going to say, I'm just going to tell what I've been holding on to. I'm going to come clean. 
Or maybe it's even simpler than that. I promise to come back next week to worship. I promise to watch online again at worship. I promise to come back. Please be looking for me and hold me accountable. But just one thing, I ask you, that's my home. One thing, baby step, and then ask somebody to hold you accountable. And here's my promise to you if you do this. You're going to feel better. You're going to know the joy of transparency and honesty and the freedom of walking in the light. You're going to be a better person. You're going to become a better husband, a better wife, a better dad, a better papa, a better friend, a better whatever you want to be. You're going to start getting better, and you're going to start experiencing healing. But you've got to take the step. And I'd advise us to do it now. It's practice. But when we get to heaven, and God says, hey, what did you do with the life I gave you? And to hear him say, well done. Good and faithful son. Let's pray. Tell you what, God, this accountability stuff's pretty heavy. Kind of scary pretty hard but God we can tell by your word that it's necessary absolutely necessary because of our sinful willful nature God so I pray God that you would give us that you would give your people the courage and such a vision for the kind of person that we want to be God that we want to be like Jesus as husbands as spouses as wives as, as parents as bosses as employees, God, as just citizens of the United States of America, God, we want to be more like Jesus, God, that you help us, Lord. Give us the power to carry out your will for our lives in this area. We can't. You can. We think we'll let you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. I'd love to meet you if you're a first time or a new second time later. Good to have you.